Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of 168,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of the modern architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation joy and inspiration architecture brings to our cities communities and lives hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of accurate this is tom diora thank you shay for our guest today please welcome michelle nay i love how that goes senior project architect at defcon construction the largest general contractor in silicon valley for the majority of the past two decades handling both large and small projects for a wide range of owners, developers, and end users. Find out more at devcon-const.com. That's devcon-const.com. Hello, Michelle. Happy to have you on The Modern Architect today. Hi, Tom. I'm happy to be here. Oh, great. M- Michelle, tell us how, how long you've been an architect with DevCon and how you came about becoming so interested in architecture you know i spoke in the green room or actually the very large uh, room there over by the uh, uh the library but how did you become interested in architecture please tell the audience uh, well it's a interesting story i think when i first uh became somewhat interested in architecture was really before i was five years old my grandfather who babysat me every now and then uh turned me on to perspective drawings. He taught me how to do two-point, three-point, and single-point perspectives at a very young age. Wow. It was clearly a babysitting tool, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> at five years old. Yeah. And you, you can recall. Oh, I, I specifically remember sitting in the dining room, and he would point me at certain areas in, in the house and sometimes in the garden and ask me to draw that and notice how those lines converge, and he would teach me the principles behind that perspective drawing. Oh, my goodness. It was really cool. At five years old. Now, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in San Jose. Okay. Born and raised. Oh, born and raised. There's not too many local folks around. Yeah, there's a lot more imports these days. <laughs> yeah. So five years old, That did it, looking back, is that the point where you realize, that, you know what, I liked it even then at a, at a, at a visceral level? Probably, you know, yes, looking back at the time, I don't think it occurred to me that I am going to be an architect. It, it okay. didn't occur to me then, but certainly looking back, that was definitely something that was very influential. Yeah. So after five years old, how was it going through high school and college? How, did you have the feel then? Or? A little bit. Okay. Um, 
you know, I always had an aptitude for science and math uh, and enjoyed school in general. I was always drawn to the arts as well. Um, and I, that also goes back to my grandfather. I, I remember him sitting an egg on top of the dining room table and he would draw the curtain so the daylight wouldn't come in, and he would take a single light, like a flashlight or something, mm-hmm. and point it to one side of the egg and teach me shades and shadowing. Oh, my goodness. And he would say, look at this egg. It's the same color all the way around, right? And certainly it is. Yes. And then he would shine the light on it, and he says, what color is it now, right here versus right there? Do you think you could draw that? Yeah. And so you did you have any... Collect, uh, do you have a collection of some of your uh, original? You know, I don't. Okay. I don't know what happened That'd be to that. Neat. It, well, I don't know. It's probably a good thing it's gone. <laughs> 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 Clearing out my parents' house in their attic after so many years. No, I, I don't. I oh, don't that's think, terrific! So you that. would shine the light on the egg, and you would see the different shades, the colors, the hues, and yeah, and you would draw it. I would draw it with the shades All stages? and shadows. All the stages? Yeah, from different perspectives and another babysitting technique. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> but still effective. Well, it would, yeah. and it changed the way I looked at the world. All okay. of a sudden I was th- seeing things and realizing, yes, that paint color on that trim converges in the corner and you could tell it's the same color, but when you draw, you, you don't visualize it as the same color anymore. Okay. You know, it's like taking yeah. a snapshot today and maybe putting a Pantone deck in front of it and realizing, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. The world is so much colorful than it appears if you think of things in two dimensions. Okay. So going through high school, um, even go, go ahead, we'll say it. And you went to college where? Cal Poly, uh, San Luis Obispo. Okay. Another one. <laughs> I've never met anyone from Cal Poly I never liked. Um, so, so there, did you major in architecture or was another major that you... Uh, No, I I actually started out as a as an architecture major in high school, kind of ramping up to when I chose the profession. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. um, And architecture did keep coming up on those aptitude tests. When I was in high school, it was it was one of those things where, you know, the, when I was there, and I think things have changed, but the, the girls took home ec and the boys took the wood shop, the metal shop and drafting class. When I was in a, a senior in high school, I took that drafting class okay. with a girlfriend of mine, and uh, we were the only seniors in the class, the only <laughs> girls in the class, and we were full of, you know, it was the class was full of freshman boys. So <laughs> we took on a nice little motherly role model to all these little kids, but uh, I, I really enjoyed the drafting aspects. Yeah. Um, and as we were talking a little bit earlier, drafting to an architect is kind of like typing to a journalist. Yeah, say that again. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Drafting to an architect is like typing to a journalist. Okay, okay. You know, yeah. it's, it's a tool. Yes. It doesn't make you good at journalism if you know how to type, but it certainly helps. Yeah. So you're in high school. You decided this is where you kind of may want to do this as a profession. Then you go to Cal Poly, and you say, this is, this is it. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was an intermediary step. I went to a, uh, one year at West Valley, which is a community college just south of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, and I think they still do, they had a, a program in architecture that transferred students directly to Cal Poly. So they mimicked that first and second year. So after my first year at West Valley, I took full immersion in architecture. What's this all about? I need to figure this out for myself and see if this is really what I'm interested in. I got straight A's and applied at Cal Poly. And I, I truly expected to go to my second year at West Valley and go to and transfer mm-hmm. at that point but I figured oh, I'll just do a trial run and see if I get accepted and I was one of two kids in the class that got accepted at Cal So Poly. the trial became real. The trial became real and yeah. it was sooner than I expected but uh, 
how could I say no? Yeah, how could you? <laughs> so Definitely. I dove right in and, and loved it. How about, you, were your teachers inspiring as well? Or was it the profession or the... The profession in general. Okay. Um, okay. Some of my teachers were inspiring, some were not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's funny, at the community college level, I can't tell you how impressed I was with the teaching ability at community college. Wow. And in the really? architecture program at Cal Poly, same thing. Very good instructors. The general ed courses that I com- hadn't finished yeah. in my one year, of course, but uh, maybe not so much. Okay. <laughs> so, but the architecture, for sure, they were. Absolutely. So, so you went through, through the school. Did you do an internship after or during school? You know, in the summers, I, I got jobs at residential architecture firms locally who okay. needed a little help during the summer months, you know, a couple of months so I, I would work for, boy, I, I remember specifically riding my bike to a little place in Saratoga oh, that isn't even great. there anymore. But uh, did a little uh, upscale residential design. Yeah. Uh, had some fun with that. Yeah. So you rode your bike to... to... Rode my bike to my, my <laughs> office where I'm... No, no longer? No longer. Oh, okay. No just longer. to the distance... <laughs> oh, not about bike riding, yeah. but uh, no, I, the place that I was working is no longer there. Okay, so you took the you, uh, you did the internship, and then you where were your first place for at liberty to tell you that you worked and you started and well, I actually you were in the field. Yeah, I was in the field once yeah. I graduated. Um, I it was in, I graduated in the midst of a not the greatest recession we've had, but it was a pretty big recession at the time. Nobody was hiring. This was 1983. And um, I spent about six months working for San Jose British Motors, driving Jags around, which gave me the flexibility. It wasn't a full-time, it was a part-time job, but whenever I'd have an interview, I could go. Okay. So it was kind of a with fun a With a Jag, oh. yeah. I would know, I would drop off Jags to the owners, you know, okay. and I would know what color the car was, so I would dress appropriately to that color. Did you really? oh. <laughs> Design is in my blood. <laughs> Even in the cars. Oh. oh, my God, it was fun. But uh, the first job I got out of college was actually for an interior design uh, firm. Uh, no longer with us anymore. It was Western Design Associates at the time over okay. on the Alameda. In fact, it was actually located where the Whole Foods is right now. Oh. Um, I grew a very wonderful respect for the interior design trade that I didn't really know much about before. Yeah, tell us about that. Um, They had gotten their background doing open office partition drawings for the furniture that would be sold. Okay. Um, And they wanted to expand their business. A lot of their customers were asking them to do some interior remodels that involved, you know, walls and doors that were framed and done by general contractors instead of furniture parts and pieces that were sold by um, Western Contract Furniture, who ran the Western Design Associates. So they hired me, and they also hired an architect from Yale, which worked for me because in order to get my experience to become licensed, I needed to work for a licensed architect for a couple of years before I would qualify to take my, my oral exams. So the licensed architect came down, and he helped us get further jobs in interior architecture. And I knew enough from Cal Poly about the building code that I was kind of ahead of the game there. And push for Cal Poly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a good experience. I was there for about a year and a half, uh, and then at that time I, I felt that I was kind of not growing any further, you know, it was one of those things. Okay. It was, they were, they were doing the kind of work and I was kind of getting used to it and I wanted to grow more and do more architectural things than the smaller interior projects that we were doing. 
So that's when I transferred over to DEFCON Construction in 1985, and I've been there for 32 years now. Terrific. Yeah. So did you, you, you did they find you? You found them? You guys found each other? Well, my dad is actually a mechanical engineer. Okay. And uh, he was partner for uh, a mechanical engineer company that called Polyair Mechanical at the time that uh, did work for DEVCON Construction. So I had heard about the company for quite a while and knew that they were unique in the marketplace because they had an internal architectural department that also did the construction. And okay. at that time, they also did their own real estate development. That's very rare. Yeah, yeah. it was owner, architect, yeah. and contractor all under one roof. So oh. very unique. Yeah. Um, I actually, when I was in college, applied for summer jobs at DEVCON and was at several times, and was always told, come back when you graduate. We're looking for somebody with more experience. <laughs> so, of course, in 1983, when no one was hiring, they said, come back with more experience. <laughs> so after a year and a half, I said, all right, I've been knocking on your yeah. door for a while. I have more experience, and they hired me. Really? So it was several years? It was a long process. So I was knocking on their door. They knew oh, who wow. I was, and they finally said yes. That's great. And that was 32 years ago? Yeah, it was 1985. Oh. 32, and they, they they love you since. Now, what is, what is like, the culture that uh, keeps you there so long? I mean, what, what, how, how are the people, and what is it that's so... So unique yeah. about the company? Well, aside from being unique in the project delivery method of being design-build um, and having a, an in-house construction company, I, I look at it in reverse. Okay. A lot of folks, and the way we're described mostly, is a construction company with a, with a design department. I like yeah. to think of it as the opposite. Oh, <laughs> We're a design good. department that has a construction company. I that, think that's that, the that, right way, though. Well, it's 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 back and forth. Yeah. I think the right way is is a is both. Okay, it, it truly is a back and forth kind of thing. But yeah. to to kind of counterbalance that Goliath in the room, I I do like to emphasize that we're an architectural department or an architectural firm with a design with a construction department. Yeah, easy so, for me to say. So that influences the culture, the mindset of, of the company, and how you work with clients. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And a lot of our clients uh, come to us because we do have those in, in-house capabilities. Okay. We, we do get things done faster um, because we communicate directly. Um, but more than that, in terms of your original question, why am I still there after so long yeah. kind of thing, if I can paraphrase that, um, you know, I have to say that DevCon's, it's a family feeling. It's, it's Even though we become such a large company, there's still a small family dynamic to the place. Um, Gary Filizetti is the owner, and he does a really amazing job at, at just keep uh, fostering that community feeling. Like, yeah, because that's, that's not common in, no. uh, in many industries. No, and yeah. uh, the fact that I've been there as long as I have, I am not the only one, and I am not the oldest employee there. So it does speak a lot to uh, the longevity of the firm. And many yeah. of our pl- employees go off to find greener pastures and inevitably come back. We probably have about a 70% return rate. I haven't done the math, but right? just to guess, what, W-A-G. Oh, so they, so they think that maybe there's more that they can do or grow or there's yeah. different facets. Uh, Grass is always greener. And then they did 70%, though, that's extremely high. Yeah. That yeah. they come back to it. So they must be some, doing something. Uh, how, how do you, your clients, you've got some of the largest, best, most well-known clients, not just here locally, but actually uh, in the country and internationally. How is it working with the, the principals of those companies? You uh, kind of consider them part of the family? Sort of? Yeah, they're an okay. extension of us. Um, okay. In fact, Gary has a, a tagline he likes to say, which is 95% of our repeat bu- of our business is from returned customers. 
Um, and that's true. And Gary's really connected with those guys personally. Um, and uh, they, they do a lot of trips and, and such together. Um, we, we treat our customers' money as if it's our own. Um, and, you know, we partner with our, with our clients. Yeah, and that's I an interesting word, the partnering. I mean, it's, it's kind of over, not overused, but it's, uh, it's, not, it's not just cliche, obviously, where you're... Absolutely you, you couldn't, not. You couldn't survive this long and keep doing so Yeah, long. it has to mean something. It has to be felt on both sides of that handshake. Okay, so there are, are there potentially uh, prospective clients that even approach you that you, like, eh, may not be a good fit? Um, I'll have to defer that response to Mr. Filizetti. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I can imagine the answer would be yes. Uh, that's, uh, Gary always makes the call. Okay. So in, in, in good times, we are able to choose the types of work that we're doing and the projects we take on, uh, yeah. obviously, with any firm, really. In, in good times, you're able to, to choose. Um, and when times aren't so good, um, you're putting, putting your foot out there and saying, hey, how can we help you? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. How is it working with some of the cities that you're working with as well? Not just the clients, but the cities. Do they get familiar with you? You're familiar with them and just flows? Is that is that part of the reason why you kind of uh, be, it, come in de- under deadline so frequently? Uh, working with the cities uh, does help. You do establish those relationships. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't mean it goes faster through the cities, the okay. jurisdictions. I think what helps us do things a little bit faster is the nature of having the construction company involved very early in the design process so we can shortcut some of that back and forth when there's you know, value engineering checks or you know, cost avoidance methods. We, we try to kind of get to the bottom line budget uh, solutions as well as meet our clients' needs in a quicker way because we do have the construction team involved. Oh, okay. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Your San Francisco Zoo and Gardens is a 100-acre is a 100-acre park, 100-acre classroom, and 100-acre conservation resource center. You're invited to see more than a thousand exotic, endangered, and rescued animals. San Francisco residents, seniors, and active and retired military receive discounts on admission, and children three years and younger are free. The zoo is open every day of the year. For more information, visit sfzoo.org. That's the San Francisco Zoo and Gardens. It's a jungle out there. Thank you for tuning in, and now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Michelle Ney, Senior Project Architect at DEVCON Construction. Check them out at devcon-const.com. That's devcon-const.com. Michelle, um, about working with some of the cities and the processes, make, you, know, you always kind of come in uh, under, beat the deadline. How, elaborate a little bit more, like how does that, why is that so consistent with you? Uh, I mean, I, I love it, but it's like it's, it's not common. Yeah, it, it yeah. isn't. Um, and again, it's not really the cities and the process of going through the cities um, so much that that enables us to to be a little bit faster. But it is that partnering with the construction company and with our clients and getting buy-in early on on budgets and coming up with. Uh, construction details and, and methodologies as a as a partnership with our construction team, uh, so that we we do have design documents that we're generating early on that do that are budget driven. Okay. A lot of times, uh, the length of a process 
is really due to the fact that the architect is typically um, isolated and, and they don't have a direct feel for the kinds of decisions they're making along the way that impact budget. And I, as an architect, sometimes I hate to be so budget-driven, but, but that it drives projects. Okay. Um, it's, it's rare that budgets don't drive projects. Uh, so, you know, that tends to be the time-consuming factor is when uh, plans go out to bid, contractors bid on them, the budget's a little over what the client is expecting to spend, and you go through that redesign process. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times things that the, the client was, was sold on by, by an architect, well, maybe they have to cut some of that stuff back, you know, it, or, you know, maybe it's just detailing and, and such. But we try to get to those kinds of answers very quick and early, so we're right there. Yeah. Do you... Do you take into consideration also the, the people that you're working with, kind of their personalities? Does that come into play? You mean our clients? Yes. Uh, Not just their budget requirements or, or the outcome that they're looking for, but actually some of the, their, their personalities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, in terms of how their personalities impact the, the project or the architecture or the design, mm -hmm. yeah. um, you know, it, it that... It definitely impacts the way we present the design back to them um, because we have to understand our audience in order to basically sell our designs, okay. right? But I, I think our designs don't speak necessarily to the individual that we're working with as much as it speaks to the people that use the project, right? Oh. That the building at the end of the day, let's say we're talking about a building. Yeah. You have an example, or can you? Oh, let's see. Maybe a project I'm currently working on is the expansion of the Franklin Templeton campus in okay. San Mateo. Um, when we originally designed the campus um, back in, boy, this goes back to 97 through 99. We, we finished building it in 2001. Um, but, but back then, uh, we had the CEO of, of the company. We were going through the design phases of the project and coming up with different ideas. And, uh, you know, nothing was quite hitting the mark and you know that's a ma a process of trying to find out what it is that you're that speaks to your client's soul you know okay. and um charlie johnson who's the president of franklin templeton came back from a, a trip to uh st petersburg russia and toured a lot of the eastern european cities came back with a, a handful of photos that he had taken and said and these are all just buildings that are centuries old in Eastern Europe and said, my project's got to feel like this and look like this. And I looked at all these photographs and suddenly it, it occurred to me that Charlie wants his project to look like it belongs on the back of a hundred dollar bill. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. But you had to ascertain that. Yeah. It, it sometimes he couldn't client, describe it to you. A lot of times clients can't, but, but okay. when you finally hit it, and you know you've got it. That's yeah. that's when you know your whole project concept is laid out. Um, the yeah. client's shaking their head up and down, and and the, it's starting to talk back to you. It's yeah. starting to inform its own design. That transcends education, um, even psychology, though, to breach to go that deep, though. Yeah, there's there's definitely a connection. There's yeah. it's a psychological or 
just some kind of a, a deep-rooted, soulful kind of connection that just speaks to somebody's desires. Yeah. And do you have to, you extract that from your clients if they don't already come to you with something. Yes. You have to. You oh, have to go there. Oh, that's fierce, though. That's, that, that's, that's a, the best part of doing this thing. I know. But that's, <laughs> that's, that's really challenging, though, because that's, I know we're talking, obviously, architecture and, you know, what it takes to get to be there. But there's that, that's, that's an element that's... Uh, there's plenty of soulless buildings out there. Let's face it. <laughs> oh no. Okay, so they didn't do that with them. Uh, well, or maybe yeah. them didn't have a soul. You know? Yeah. I mean, that, sometimes their buildings get built that are time and money based, and that's it. You know, and that's super sad. But yeah, can can a building even if you have a budget and it is it is limited? Can a client approach you and say, "Can you do something that's actually 10, 20, 30, 50, 40 years from now will be will be happy with what we did?" Can yeah. you do that? Absolutely. Those are okay, the kind so of clients be done. you love. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um we're doing a project that Defcon didn't design, but we are building uh for Nvidia. It's being designed oh. by Gensler in San Francisco. Doing an outstanding job, and Great they, Gensler. yeah, much like the same uh, process, they they went through that process with the um, the owner of Nvidia and extracted from his soul what he wanted, and we're building it now. It's called the Endeavor Campus. Look that up. Uh, it's outstanding. Uh, it's two hundred fifty thousand square foot footprint, uh, two stories high. There's a four level. Uh, Mezzanine structure internally, lots of skylights, natural lighting, green. Um, it's it's kind of taking your your typical office building that was kind of a cookie cutter approach that okay. a lot of you know broker developers have been forcing upon the market, and it's turning it on its heels. Uh, so this so this is, could be a trendsetter. It, it's it's a yes, it could be a trendsetter. Oh, we'll have to look at this. We'll have what to city? Look at this. What city is this? This is in Santa Clara, off okay. of San Tomas. Okay, so you're taking your again. How much can you influence the developers uh, when they say they have? Here's here's the budget we have, or here a school, whatever it is. Here's what we have. Here's what we're we're working towards. Here's what we'd like to do. Do you look at it and say that looks good, and you just kind of work with them just because you want to work with them, or do you really? You have to be candid with them and say, you know what, I think we can do this a little differently, and I think you'll be happy with it. Do well, you... you always had to be candid with them. Okay. And that's developing the trusting relationship that you have with your client. Um, we do a vetting process internally, with, you know, evaluating the time and money aspects for sure, and that comes from our construction department yeah. and schedule, right? Uh, and then the design aspects too. Is this going to meet? the needs that you're setting out to meet or should we tweak it should we do something different and we're we're always trying to ascertain the goals of the project and i'm speaking from the design side right? sure um and i always like to at least of course at minimum we meet our clients expectations but i always strive to exceed them and if i could tap into that soulful place if the client doesn't have it if they're just driven to make a profit on the project then we focus on the end user you know which is really the prime focus okay. of any successful project it's the end user experience that defines the success of any architecture yeah so th th is there a set template that you 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 use or that's just kind of a mental it's a mental thing okay um i don't think you could bottle this and sell it on the market I, it's <laughs> You know, there's methodologies that are used that are okay. practiced, um, but uh, it's it's truly tapping into uh, such a big variety of factors. Um, yeah. 
the the location, what's happening in the adjacent surrounding uses, how what's the, what's the community impact? How is this going to uh, affect energy consumption? Um, how do you get there? Is there mass transit? Is this going to be parking heavy? Is this going to be a traffic demand on the local infrastructure? All of those things come into play. And although we can't influence the things that are outside of the property lines for the projects that we're mm-hmm. defining, we definitely need to take all of those things into consideration. Okay. How do, how do you, have you ever dealt with, uh, can you give a project that started, it just didn't look like it was going so well and it just turned out f- terrific for fabulous even, just not just from a, a client standpoint, but just from a building even if it was years ago, just something where you go, wow, this is really challenging, and how are we going to work through this? And you work through it, and it's just like, oh, my God, this is glorious. It had to happen out of 30 years. Yeah, <laughs> Unless they all yeah. start out per- perfect. Yeah. They, yeah. they all start off in a varying, varying degrees, right? Okay. Um, you know, there's parts of projects that, that I could say okay, that about. And um, I guess the funny thing I, in my experience is, when when we see things that are going sideways, it's usually more on the internal side of things, and we miraculously figure out ways around them, and we try to keep that behind the black curtain. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Um, but we're, yeah. we're constantly internally working miracles, and, and our face forward with the client is, yep, this is what we do. And, you know, yeah. and I think that's why we get so much return business. I, I can't really... I can't really come up with an example of a, a project that, on the client side, everybody thought it was a disaster and yeah. it came out great. I, I can't. I'm exaggerating yeah. with it, but because it sounds like you have, that's why you have that repeat because you obviously have a system in place, a system and a culture that uh, minimizes that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And it does involve communication and being completely forthright and upfront with everybody involved. I, yeah. I'm a strong believer in transparency. Yeah. Now, how, Except how, for that black curtain. <laughs> I love that. You always have one there. So even even working with the community before the projects get started, is there is there a process that you go through in addressing the community or people with that are going to be there before you begin? Yeah, it depends on the project. Um, okay. A lot of projects at their infancy, you're required to have sure. community involvement, community meetings, and um, that's important, yeah. especially for a public pro- project where, where the community is definitely a stakeholder. Yeah. Um, it's, it's always a little bit challenging for private projects where community meetings are required. There's definitely a, a responsibility to the repu- to the not republic to the public that the architects have um, and the the challenge from an architectural point of view or an architect's perspective is balancing the needs of that private development and your client with the needs of and the demands of the local community sometimes those are at odds so it's a yeah. matter of finding that common ground so that everybody's needs are met Wow, so it's more than just architect design and building. Yeah, there's some politics involved. Okay, and so you have to be able to navigate them effectively so that yes. everyone so gets that what they want at some point. That would be the goal. There's usually a little yeah. disappointment somewhere along the line. Okay. Um, not all needs can be met. Sure. Otherwise, the job would be super easy. Yeah, and it's not. You, <laughs> you want have... that? Sure. You know, <laughs> it's not always that easy. But when you can paint a bigger picture and you can bring in the multiple factors at play and describe the decision process and how the end result is going to benefit 
the community in ways that may not have been considered by the community. As long as that's communicated, um, you, you generally get an understanding. Okay. And, Do you ever have a, a prospective client that approaches you with just, here's what I want to build, but I have no idea what I want it to look like or how I want it to be? Does it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with that when they have they zero? Usually, they usually don't know that they don't know what it looks like and want it to be. But when you hear them start talking, you realize <laughs> they don't. And and that's fine. That's okay. As that's long as hilarious. we can understand what they're looking yeah. for, and then we can come up with our ideas of how that can be. Yeah. Yeah. So they say so they, they don't know that they don't know? Most, oh. most of the time. Oh, no. <laughs> and you don't want to break their ego either. Yeah. You just want to paint the perfect picture for them. So. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Do you start sketching or do you go on the computer? How do you give them an idea so they go, we're getting kind of closer or I'm glad, okay, I'm glad I came to you. Yeah. Like well, different people work in different ways. Sometimes okay. we start sketching on the spot. Sometimes we, we come, you know, go, go back and, and come up with some ideas. I, I like to gain insight from some of my coworkers as well and say, what do you think about this? Because it's not always... My answer is somebody else might have a real nice take on on a very elegant way to solve a problem. Yeah. Uh, so we usually come back with, I try to limit it to about three different directional options, and from there we can start drilling down into something that we'll, we'll run with. Okay. And you could do that relatively quickly? When I mean relatively quickly, I say within a meeting or maybe Sometimes. a week or two? Definitely within a week or two, sometimes within the same meeting. Um, usually we like a, a couple days to pull something together, especially if it's a little more visual. And our, if our client's a little visually challenged, we'll put together something in more of a 3D form that can be easily communicated. Okay. What what architects inspire you? Do you have any that you really look up to? In particular, say three. Okay, we'll keep it. Are you an architect, <laughs> designer, contractor, oh, engineer? Yeah, keep it down to You can find yeah. the perfect products yeah. for your design. I'm, I'm plus all the information so you need to finish your construction words. documents I, I and written really specifications. Or even artists or, or, or musicians, whatever. You know, what it's a tool for architects and other design professionals featuring products from over 350 brands. I know. That's awesome. See how they've been used by others. Compare them with similar items. Music. Okay. Well, Ask sorry. manufacturers specific questions. Oh, then yeah. access the information as well as <laughs> the BIM. Yeah. Well, which CAD, ones would you like me to remember? Revit files. <laughs> you need oh, to you can apply that to architecture, drawings. but you know. Yeah, you know what else you can apply that is I, I Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production station. and broadcasting. And they'd say, Costs this is a piece for the modern architect. Mozart is really inspiring, and he did this while he was a uh, he was on a park bench, and he was uh, he was unable to be gainfully employed, and I just. Um, I had to turn it off. Just like, can you imagine? He's just going, hey, this is what I can do. And he couldn't get a commission. Yeah. Like, it, it, it didn't matter. And so it's like either they, I don't know, who knows why the, that happened. The connection but, wasn't taking place. Yeah. 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 But it inspired him to do one of his best best works in a park bench and he couldn't, couldn't find anything. So yeah, well, sometimes our most challenging times brings out our best work. Yeah. Do you think in you can, life? Can you, I mean, this think is you a philosophy. Force it too? <laughs> You think um, you can force it without yourself so that you don't, uh, rather than having a, a, a personal hardship come at you so that you're forced to deal with it, you think there's a way to develop it <laughs> on your own? You know, architects are famous for this. It's called time. Oh, oh yeah. Wait until yeah. the last minute until you absolutely <laughs> have to come up with something, and then suddenly that blank piece of paper comes to life. Yeah, why is that? I wonder. Uh, I don't know. I can't tell you. It's pressure. All of a sudden, it's not like you, we like to mull things over for a while. Okay. But when when you have time right at you and you need to perform, you find a way. Yeah. So there is that stressful time thing. All architects do this. We're all 
we're all guilty of that. So that time is, so it's really, that's the word. Time, time is it, the, the pressure of time. I think you answered a lot of questions for a lot of people. That time, <laughs> really, not just architecture, but that time when you have a finite amount of time to produce whatever it is you need to it's produce. Not, it's amazing what you can do in, in, say, 8 to 12 hours. That's great. <laughs> uh, so, so you've got you've got a prospective client or an existing client. They come to you with uh, just an idea of what they want. They have a certain specific amount of employees. They have a location, but they don't have the idea of where what they're going to build. Or how to pull it all yeah. together. Do they, do they like uh, uh, Franklin's uh, president, come to you? Are they inspired by going places and laying a bunch of photographs on your I love lap? it when they are okay. because it gets us that much closer to what they're thinking. And if we can tap into what they're thinking, what's in their brains, then it'll able, enable us to do a, a much better job at getting getting there. And we can tweak that and add to it as well. Excellent. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. The Museum of American Heritage chronicles the evolution of technological invention from, 19, from 1750 to 1950. MOAH, or MOA, is housed in a historic house and garden in downtown Palo Alto. The museum collects, preserves, and exhibits indigenous or ingenious electrical and mechanical devices that have changed our lives. The museum is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 4 p.m., except during exhibit changeovers. If you'd like to know more or become a member or volunteer, visit moa.org. That's M-O-A-H dot org. This is The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Michelle Ney, Senior Project Architect at DevCon Construction. Check them out at devcon-const.com. That's devcon-const.com. Michelle, we were talking about uh, you know a, a client just laying down a bunch of photos in, on your lap and saying, "Here's what I like. Here's what I." I and you said you love that. Well, what's the reason why it just kind of does it help you out, or what is it? It definitely helps okay. helps out. Okay. Um, if we can tap into where our client's coming from, what their vision of the project is, um, we can take that, evaluate it, and either marry into that or buy into that and develop that scheme or point out to your client why these are great ideas and it doesn't work here and here's why. You know, it, it enables the dialogue. Um, a lot of times they'll have a vision that doesn't mean we have to stick with it. But, right. but it certainly... Is that often? Not often, no. Okay. A lot of times our clients are pretty savvy um, and they, they do have a good feeling for what they're after. Um, but we do challenge that sometimes. That's our job. Um, we're not just yes people. Yeah. Um, and, and we are, you know, beholden to, to the community interests as well, uh, to protect the public health, safety, and welfare, you know, yeah. of the yeah. public. Yeah. So it, do you also suggest what might work? Absolutely. That might be completely different from what they came in for? Yeah. And if they don't like it right uh, away, it's like, okay, thanks for listening. We'll, we'll throw that off. Now let's... Okay. Keep, keep going here. Do you have any any projects in, in your mind, or you may have already done them, where you say, I would love to see um, a building done this way? Has that happened, Has, or have you actually made it happen? To where you go, I have an idea that can change, you know, um, the, the, the boxy look of a lot of commercial buildings or commercial school, whatever it is. I think I have a way that, that may set a trend or may... may um, may be a little more effective and people will really enjoy it for the next 
30, 40, 50 years. I, I have had the pleasure of doing those kinds of projects. And for a variety of reasons, none of them have yet gotten built. But uh, Really? No, but I've seen knockoffs of them. Okay, so on purpose knockoffs or just because it's a budgetary reason? Uh, no, on, on purpose knockoffs. Which, really? is, which is the finest form of flattery. Sure. And I'm, I'm not complaining. But, but it, do they capture the essence of it, though? Absolutely. Okay, they do. Yeah. Can you set, tell us where they are? Or? Uh, let's see. Yeah. One of them happens to be in East Palo Alto, relatively new development. Okay. That's it. That's as much I'll, as you I'll can. just stop there. Okay. <laughs> but but it's, it's a knockoff one. Yeah, all the ideas that I was passing. Yeah, me, my, my team and I. Yeah. Okay. Same firm? Different company? Dif- different. We built it. Uh, different okay. firm ended up doing the design work. Okay. And we were talking out here at Stanford looking at the quad and how it was built in 1917. And I, I said, Michelle, can we? Can you guys replicate this? And you said, yeah. Yes, you can. It, it, we can. We can replicate that if, if that's the goal. It's a little Disneylandish. To okay. Me. okay. Oh, <laughs> you know, the replication would the be? The replication, yeah. The okay. authenticity of the place at the time is just amazingly beautiful. But that can be replicated. So even the authenticity can't if you don't want it to be so commercial. Yeah, is it just I, is it budgetary or is it just the materials or the design processing the processes that that you can come up with something that will look great two hundred years from now? Yeah, well, let's take budget out of the okay, let's out do of the that. equation. Yeah, um, I, I think you can certainly mimic anything today with with our technology and our materials, um, and we can make it last for for quite a number of years. But I think the authenticity factor may get lost. I I would prefer to take a building that if we're trying to mimic something, and this this is probably more of a preference thing uh, from a design perspective, I, I would much prefer taking the essence of something that we're trying to replicate and do it in a way that speaks to today's design, today's technology. Just like they did then. Yes. Okay. Well, Well, kind of just like they did then. I mean, you look around the Stanford campus and nothing really came from... A place anywhere in, really in California. Yeah, <laughs> it was replicating older yeah. times. I mean, even okay. even what we have now is is all over California. I've heard it termed California blendo architecture. <laughs> we're, we're we're definitely yeah. all, and all architecture honestly is his, borrowing from the historical past. Yeah, um, so it's yeah. hard to be actually. You can be authentic without being original. I made yes. that up. Is it possible? It, I don't know if it makes sense. I, it is. I mean, then you go into philosophy. Is there any original thought? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> There's a pause that's not supposed to happen on radio, but it just did. <laughs> well, so, think but, about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, do you have a particular style that you like? Preference, preference. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you know, it, it it changes. Um, okay, well, I like that. So yeah, it's not always set. No, it's okay. not always set. I I think you know when I first started out, I had a, a set style, a set signature, which you know I I I used to have a little motif that I would find a place in the building to put and i i've evolved since then and i don't need to no? do that anymore yeah. but uh yeah i i think things evolve i don't i don't like to have a, a certain style or, or something that speaks to me i've kind of gone back to the place that the building should really speak to the people that use them they shouldn't say this was designed by michelle nay or this yeah. you know or anybody for that matter i i i think it should really speak to the people that use them and that that means success to me. Yeah. So you're really speaking through the. You're just. Yeah. You're speaking through your 
the client in essence. Yeah. It's not just you, unless they you had a style as a. It, yeah, I mean, uh, some people, you know, walk into the room with the black cape and they have their style. And there's that's that cape. Our, there's a black curtain and a black cape. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, some people sell that. You know, that okay. is their signature, and and it can be in high demand, and customers want that. And but that's not me. Okay. This is an individualistic thing. That's great. What do you see the? Um, um, it's now oh, it's called the Silicon Valley. I, I grew up here in the peninsula, so it, it was just you San and Jose. me both. Yeah, yeah, it was just San Jose. It was San Jose, land of blossoms. That's <laughs> it. it um, but here, what do you where do you see it in the next say five or ten years? Is it going to go up higher, uh, more spread out? How, how do you how do you envision it, or, or are you at liberty to even say? so? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we've seen, I think, over the past five years, certainly the the area has boomed. I mean, the entire region of the Bay Area is growing more rapidly than it ever has in history. Um, there's more tower cranes in the city of San Francisco than than ever before. Um, all up and down the peninsula, Redwood City's yeah. now bursted. Uh, Mountain View's going crazy. Anywhere along Caltrain, now let's hope they get their federal funding for their electrification, okay. but um, Caltrain is really the the driver the the driver no yeah pun intended the, the tod's okay. there's all kinds of um incentives for development along the the transportation corridor and rightfully so we're going to see a lot more development along the transportation corridor as we have been but we're, it's going to be more pronounced uh that's that's what well, we will be going higher with the okay. unfortunate exception of downtown san jose and the flight path of san jose airport yeah. such a sad deal <laughs> But so it will be going. It will be going up. We will see more. Like vertical. in what another? How many? Well, we'll we'll see. Time will tell. Um, but uh, even along the Mid Peninsula, say yeah. Palo Alto, you see it. It's happening in Redwood City already. Okay. Right now, it's magic. The mid magic number is mid rises uh, primarily because when things are over seventy five feet, code implications happen. It's considered a high rise, and now things become more expensive. So it's much more cost-effective to hold your mid-rises to the levels of, like, five and six floors. Is, is there part of legislation to do that? Or no, it's just, it's just it's makes building practical? Code. It, it's practical. And okay. it, some jurisdictions, it's zoning ordinance for height restrictions. But it's more, more of a building code limitation thing. Uh, when you build taller buildings, you have to do things that make them safer when they're taller. And that means they're more expensive per square foot. So the return on investment yeah. needs to go up as well. And as soon as the rent rates can support that, we'll start seeing more of that. Okay, so that that would be that. How, how much of a percentage, you say, how much is sustainability? Is that a large component of your Very large. Um, and interestingly enough, this has become a tenant demand. Um, primarily, our developers are responding to the needs of our tenants always, and, and the Tenants are demanding green buildings. They want their cost of doing business to go down. They want to tell their customers that they are a green company. Um, and it's more than just a trend. This is The Modern Architect, KZSU, 90.1 FM, Stanford. The Loop with Drew Deep is a radio show featuring electronic music ranging from house to techno to down tempo and everything that's good in the underground. Each week, the show features releases, exclusive mixes, top picks, 
interviews, and live guest DJs from around the world. That's The Loop with Drew Deep from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Monday mornings. And now back to The Modern Architect. We're talking today with Michelle Ney, Senior Project Architect at DevCon Construction. Please visit their website at devcon-const.com. That's devcon-const.com. Michelle, we were talking about sustainability and how large of a component it is. Uh, Elaborate even further. I I like hearing this. Yeah. um, It's, you know, LEED is uh, one of the ways to be acknowledged for the green building. Um, it's a very measurable way, and a lot of our clients are demanding that we become at least the silver, lead gold. Um, City of San Jose, you can't build a project over 25,000 square feet without at least uh, becoming lead silver through the checklist. You aren't required to actually submit your project to USGBC and get the certification. However, you, you have to meet those qualifications as a minimum. Um, and we're seeing that on a lot of cities. They're requiring minimum standards. We have a new building code now. It's Cal Green mm-hmm. um, and that sets a baseline. Um, then there's there's mandatory measures, which all buildings have to do, and there's voluntary Tier 1 and Tier 2 upgrades to that. Some cities, like Palo Alto, are requiring Tier 2. Um, a lot of our clients are, are requiring it by just the goodness of their heart, uh, you yeah. know, uh, stewards to the environment. And, and I yeah. applaud that. Um, the, the building industry in general is responsible for a very large percentage. I don't know the numbers off on the top of my head, but a very yeah. large percentage of, of our car- carbon footprint. And, um, so and that's here in the Bay Area, California? That's everywhere. Yeah, it's everywhere. Have you, I know you, you work primarily here, but um, uh, do you see this not just becoming a trend, but becoming a standard nationwide? <laughs> I know it is in it's our required. previous administration, yeah. okay. maybe, but okay. <laughs> I, I can't tell you where okay. our nation is going right now. <laughs> and I'll, I'll keep politics out of this. But, you, but, but, okay. but it, I, I would like to see okay. that. I, I think um, a lot of our, our major industries and corporations are demanding that from not only the way they do business, but the buildings they're housing their businesses in. Um, and we're, we're seeing that as kind of an inside-out demand. Certainly in California, this is important to to everybody. Okay. Uh, but, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I do see this as a, as a trend. Um, as I don't think our current... Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think that, our yes, our, our current administration is going to be supporting that. They okay. don't seem to think climate change exists. Or, so it has to be taken upon by the by the people themselves. Yeah, we don't have to be told to do the right thing. Yeah, and it's been that way for how long? Ever? Forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just be just been put into light that we've been having such a negative impact on our environment. So, yeah, you know, it's it's time to do something about it. Yeah, and it sounds like you've been doing it for years, thirty years. Is that just because that's just your? I can't say I've been makeup? green for thirty. I've, I've been blindly not green, and the really? early portion of that, yeah, not blindly not, no. not yeah, green. Okay, unaware. Yeah, just okay, so doing that, things the way they've been done before. You know. And so were you really forced to to look at? Hey, look at how this impacts everybody. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, in fact, it's funny when I first became an architect and I started learning about 
um, site drainage. You know, we're, we're taking these vacant swaths of land in Silicon Valley that used to house cherry orchards and prune orchards and yeah. whatnot, and we're paving over them. And we're taking the stormwater that used to feed the aquifers and we're piping it to the bay. And that just never made sense to me. And I would say something like that to the civil engineers and they'd shrug their shoulders and, well, that's the way we do things. And it never really sat well with me, but I'm really thrilled to see that people are changing. Um, the requirements are changing. We have new requirements. They're getting more strict every year. Um, and there's different ways to handle this, so I'm not in full agreement on how things are being handled, but okay. on a on a site-by-site basis... You can have an influence, though. Yes. You can, can have a definite influence. Well, it's, it's yeah. speaking to the, le- the legislation and the people that are change makers and, and getting our voices heard, but as of right now, every property, every little parcel that's new has to conform to the new requirements. I, I think we could probably do more of a holistic viewpoint yeah. Uh, from that and handle some of our storm drain water on a mega level. But I do like how when we do pave over certain areas, we do have to allow some infiltration of that storm water into the site itself before it gets carted off into the storm system. Yeah. And that's a, just one example. Okay. Spe- speaking of um, influencing, you're also the Silicon Valley... AIA president, right? Yeah, okay. AIA Santa Clara Valley. Santa Clara Valley, yes, okay, for yeah. Twenty seventeen. Okay, how, how's that been so far? Uh, it's been a lot of yeah. Uh, it's been a little bit more work than I expected. At the same time, it's been enjoyable. Okay, um, I I really enjoyed having more of a deeper connection with with the, um, all things architectural related that I normally wouldn't come in contact with in my employment at, at my company alone. Uh-huh. So it's been nice reaching out to other architects, connecting and sharing our stories and sharing our connections and, uh, frankly, having more of a, a vision as to the future of architects in Silicon Valley and bringing together the forces that um, that be and uh, other organizations of like-minded interest to help influence positive change. Yeah. So that influence to you help you do it obviously individually, but collectively, or you share the same mindset that helps make that happen? Yes, collectively, of of course, our our voice is much bigger. And um, AI Santa Clara Valley, we have a membership of about uh, almost 500 or slightly more than 500 people. Um, And when we connect with other groups uh, that have common interests, which we're attempting to do right now, we're in the process of of gaining more more stronghold. uh, Are they local groups? Local, local and, and uh, regional. Regional, okay. Yeah. When you say regional, like what, San Francisco, Sacramento? Bay Area. Oh, Bay Area, and okay. And other groups like the USGBC, which is um, nationwide. Yeah. International. Yeah. Um, but our, our goal is really more regional and, and local, uh, is, is to influence more of a positive change so we can build a better Silicon Valley, quite frankly. Yeah. Are there any other companies that ever go to, not just to you, uh, as an architect, but even to DevCon and say, you know what, we're looking to kind of replicate your your type of success. How do we do that? Is there anyone that ever approaches? Ancient secret. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, you know, we were you know, talking about Bill Walsh ta- yeah, and the right. 49ers and how he was here at Stanford and how that sort of um, – this system was replicated by a number of teams that you know won Super Bowls. Can you do the same with you know DevCon and your methodology and you as an architect, and share that with others to go? Here's how you can experience this type of uh, uh, not just success but fulfillment. Well, you know, I I think 
this is a, a wide open platform for anybody to develop the kinds of competition to DevCon that they want. That's yeah, what I'm saying. I don't saying. mean it as a competition. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe a company down in Southern California just to say, how do we do this? Yeah. You know, how do we do kind of what you do? And, and not, not, not competition at all, but just like, how do you... How do you yeah. manifest that great yeah, there's a, positive synergy? Yeah, there's a certain formula to it. I think not totally, but there's a, there's a formula to that. And I'm just curious to find out if you think has anyone ever approached? Yeah, no, not that I'm aware of, but okay. um, yeah, it's, there's not a large secret to it, as we were discussing <laughs> early on, and just being true to yourselves and communicating really well with your, your team and working together from start to finish. Michelle, it's been a pleasure having you here today. Appreciate you coming out to Stanford today and, and being our guest. Thank you. We were honored. Well, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure as well. Thank you. You've been listening. To The Modern Architect, I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Michelle Ney, Senior Project Architect at DevCon Construction, the largest general contractor in Silicon Valley for the majority of the past two decades, handling both large and small projects for a wide range of owners, developers, and end users. Find out more about DevCon at devcon-const.com. That's devcon-const.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Palo Alto, California, and is a production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Akshay Jaggi, assistant engineer McGregor Joyner, and we're all assisted by Bryce Carter. The executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Diora. Thank you for tuning in. Listen in again next week, Monday mornings, for The Modern Architect. Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with over 350 building product manufacturers, large and small. Modeler.com works with architects from 80% of the top 100 architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for their building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of their production and the broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.